Destinations Beyond Expectations is powered by Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com to learn how to build your travel tribe. Hello, this is Stevie G, and you are listening to DBE, the podcast designed for students of travel. Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other platform. Go check out Destinations Beyond Expectations on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget about dbetravel.com, which is the official website for the show. At dbetravel.com, you'll find the episode library, some fun blogs, a link to support the show on Patreon, and so much more. The United States has oceans, swamps, forests, deserts, you name it. And people from all over the country and the world visit our national parks to experience nature, enjoy stunning views, and learn about wildlife, history, and many more interesting topics. Do your 2022 travel plans include a visit to a national park? Well, Sarah from the Avenue to Adventure blog is here to help talk through three national parks that are definitely worth visiting in 2022. The parks we're covering today are in totally different parts of the country, and Sarah does a great job of describing each park and the unique experiences they hold for visitors. I really learned a lot during our discussion, and listeners, make sure to scroll down to the show notes where you'll find three blog posts from Sarah, one for each park we're covering today. Okay, let's get to my interview with Sarah, where we'll be discussing three U.S. national parks to have on your travel radar for 2022. Sarah, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thank you so much for coming by the show. How are you? I am good. I'm even better now that I'm talking to you today here. Um, I'm really excited and thank you for having me. You're very welcome and I'm very excited to talk to you too. Um, You are someone who takes opportunities to visit national parks. Uh, Can you talk about, you know, why you love national parks so much? Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons to why I love national parks. Um, the first one is just because of like the natural beauty um, and the landscapes of parks. I think that you can see some of the be- like the best views in America at our national parks. And these areas, they're set aside by, you know, the national government for preservation of the environment. Um, and not just for us now, but for future generations. So when I go to parks, you know, I'm not like, oh, it's just beauty that I can see. It's beauty that anybody can see and that people younger than me, people who will, you know, be here years after I die, um, they'll be able to enjoy these places, too, which I think is really cool. I also enjoy national parks because of their educational value and their cultural preservation. I do think it's important um, to remember that most, if not all, the lands in today's national parks they were once home to indigenous people, um, and it really is their land that we're exploring. So I think it's important to learn about the history of those people um, and the land that you're on when you're visiting it. And along with that, you know, that's a huge part of American history and the history of the parks. So I think that I love being able to go there and learn about history because I think I, I learned more at parks than I may have learned in my own history classes uh, growing up at some point. So I think, to put it simply, I love them because of the beauty and history that they hold. I totally agree. I think visiting a national park gives you the opportunity to learn about animals, about wildlife, about people. There's so much you can take yeah. away, as you mentioned. Um, there is. 
Absolutely. I guess that leads me to my next question. Do you think enough Americans visit, you know, state or national parks here in the United States? So uh, I think it's an interesting question. If you would have asked me years ago, I might have said, no, not enough people visit. But the parks are now in more recent years, places that people are like flocking to in large numbers. I think part of it could be with the pandemic and everybody was stuck inside. So people wanted to go outside a lot. So where do we go? We go to parks. I think, you know, it's great that people want to visit parks. I think you should do it. It's awesome. Um, Get outside, go see nature, go see beauty. But I think it's also important when people go to visit the parks that they remember to leave things as they're found and to be respectful of the land. Since I've become more a part of the outdoors community in the past few years, one of the things I really learned about are the seven principles of leave no trace. Um, And those principles are plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife and be considerate of others. Um, So I think, you know, as long as people are visiting with these principles in mind, you know, taking care of the nature that they're around, I think it's great that people are visiting um, and that we have these large numbers. I mean, some national parks, there's so much overcrowding now that they are starting reservation systems um, during the peak season. So mainly in like the summer. Uh, So I do think enough people visit national parks. When it comes to state parks, I'd say maybe. Um, I'm not too sure, honestly. I think that more people should visit state parks. For me growing up, like I didn't live near a lot of national parks. So state parks were closer. And I mean, there are some great state parks in our country. Like I just was down in Florida for two months and explored a lot of those state parks. They're like so cool. I like I was mind blown by the state parks there. So I think, you know, if you want to go to a park and you can't make it to a national park, you should try to make it to a state park. So Sarah, today we're covering three different national parks that people should have on their radar for 2022. Uh, You've written about all three of the parks that we're going to review today on your Avenue to Adventure blog. And the first park I want to highlight is Biscayne National Park. because you were just in Florida, right? So it's perfect to talk about Biscayne. So yes. tell us more about Biscayne National Park. Where is it and yeah. how do you get there? So Biscayne National Park is one of three national parks in Florida. There's the Everglades, the Dry Tortugas, and then Biscayne. In my opinion, Biscayne is a super underrated park. Um, it's not one you know, that many people think of when they think of a national park. I even know people who live in Florida who like don't really know about it um, or I've never explored it. So it's on the east coast of Florida. It's about like an hour's drive south of Miami. Um, You can actually see the Miami skyline on like a clear day from the park. Um, So it's great, you know, stay in like Miami, check out Miami and then drive down to the park. Now to see the park, you really have to get out on the water Um, Biscayne is about 95% water um, and it it preserves Biscayne Bay, which is, I'm pretty sure it's like one of the top scuba diving locations in the U.S. Um, There's over like 600 species of fish there. 
and it's also I think they have like the world's longest coral reef um so it's great for people who love water who love exploring like underwater um wildlife so there's coral reefs there's islands there's mangrove forests and all this stuff is only really accessible by boat so when I went I did a tour with the Biscayne National Park Institute um it was a history tour so we got out on the boat we um drove out to the islands and we learned about the history of the park and then we stopped at one of the islands which is Boca Chita Key uh it's like one of the most popular things to do in the park it has uh, the Boca Chita lighthouse there and it's pretty like a pretty iconic image for the park and it is just it's so cool. It's not a park that's like really known for hiking. It's more so known for its water activities or um, yeah, I, I'd say basically water activities. <laughs> uh, what are some things that maybe surprised you to, that you learned about or that just left a, a big impression on you when you visited mm-hmm. uh, Biscayne National Park? Uh, I think the first thing is that the water there is I say this in my blog post, but like the water is just mesmerizing there. Um, it's super blue, super clear, beautiful. You can like see the wildlife under it just when you're at the shore or you're looking over the boat. So the water is gorgeous. I also think it's a really cool park. And uh, something that surprised me was you can camp there. You can camp on land. Um, but what's something that's cool about Boca Chita Key is you can pull up your boat there and you can like camp overnight in your boat. Um, so that's really cool. I've never done that. Um, the day I went, I think I was there on like 2 p.m. And the boats, all the spots were taken. People were getting ready to, you know, sleep in their boats. They were camping out. It's It's really cool. So you can have like unique experiences at this park that you might not have at a park, you know, like on the southwest of the states, like in Utah or something. This is like just a completely different experience because of the location and the water, basically. So you you brought up that this is a popular place for scuba divers because of all the yeah. different species that someone might see. Um, but yeah. talk maybe talk about those kind of species or other wildlife, even, mm-hmm. you know, like the bird life. Talk about the wildlife that someone might see around Biscayne National Park? Yeah, so um, like I said, there's over like 600 species of native fish here and you'll see so many. Um, Even if you go on a tour, sometimes the tour guides can like point them out to you, let you know what type of fish they are. You do have chances to see manatees. I didn't see any while we were out, but when you leave like the visitor center area, there's all tons of mangrove trees and manatees do hang out around those areas. Uh, you do get to see a lot of birds. I'm not, you know, very smart on what kinds of birds they are. The tour guides can point them out to you. They can tell you everything. And I mean, really like any underwater wildlife you might see, uh, if you think of like crabs or dolphins or turtles, so um just yeah you'll see a lot of wildlife that's for sure (laughs) i love it so let's actually jump to the next national park and the Mm -hmm. next national park i want to ask you about is arches national park which is one of the mighty five parks in utah uh tell me a little bit more about arches national park 
well, start off, it's my favorite national park I've ever been to. Um, I could talk about it for hours upon hours. It's unbelievable. Um, even when I talk about it sometimes, I can't form the right words or sentences because my mind was just blown here. Uh, it's the site of more than 2,000 documented natural arches. And these arches are the result of erosion from sand or wind or rain. Uh, I am not somebody who is really good with geology and all that type of stuff. But there are so many interpretive signs around the park that will help explain to you how these formations came to be about. And it is just, it's unbelievable the amount of rock and arches like in one place. I visited during the off season in November. So it wasn't too crowded, I would say, but the park is one of the most popular. So really whenever you go, it's gonna be crowded, it's gonna feel crowded. They did just start a reservation system this year. So from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., if you're entering the park during the dates of uh, April 3rd through October 3rd, you do have to get a reservation in advance uh, to enter the park. So that is something to think about uh, if you're thinking about going to this park, which you definitely should because it is just, it's unbelievable. That's really all I can say. <laughs> um, delicate arch is the most recognizable of the arches. I think, yeah. you know, even if people don't know what delicate arch is, they've probably seen mm -hmm. it on a screensaver or in some travel media. Yes. Um, in yeah. your blog, you write about watching the sunrise at delicate arch. Um, tell me about that experience and can you talk about the trail that you have to walk uh, to get to Delicate Arch and just describe how beautiful it was to, to watch the sunrise there? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's one of the most recognizable arches. It's also the arch that's on the Utah license plate. So even just if you don't go to the park and you're driving around Utah, you're going to see some form of it somewhere. The Delicate Arch Trail is the one I feel like if people go to the park, uh, they don't have that much time, that's the trail they're most likely going to do. So it gets very crowded. Um, that's the first thing to know about. So when I was doing research and I found out about how crowded this place gets, I thought, okay, maybe if we get there in the morning, we do a sunrise hike, we won't you know, see as many people. It is a strenuous trail. It's about three miles. So it's a, a mile and a half to the arch and then a mile and a half back. It is a challenge, but I saw people of all ages doing it. I saw people in full hiking gear. I saw people in tennis shoes. So no, just do it. Whatever age you are, whatever experience of hiking you have, I say go and do it. Um, there is a, like it's a steep slope of slick rock that you have to climb up. And it will tire you out, even if you have been, you know, training or something for hikes, it will probably tire you out. Um, it is also a trail that has little to no shade. So if you do it in the middle of the day, you'll definitely want to bring a lot of water, sunscreen, maybe a sun hat. And then it also does go along a rock wall for about like 200 yards, but the the like trail and wall you're kind of walking on it's very thick so 
the drop down is very steep, so don't get close to the edge, but um, you'll be fine. And the trail usually takes people between 30 to 60 minutes to go one way, depending on um, how in shape they are. And so what I tell people if they're going to go for the sunrise is check the time the sun will rise on the day you want to visit and plan ahead. So try to get to the trailhead about 40 to 60 minutes beforehand. Um, and you should be in for a like amazing hike. The views are beautiful. You can see the sun rising as you get there. And then once you hit Delicate Arch, you like turn this little corner and it's right there. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. And how I was saying it gets crowded. Usually by early morning, mid afternoon, there's a line of people just to get under the arch, to get a photo of the arch, to get a photo of themselves under the arch. When I went, and because I went so early, I didn't have to wait at all to get a photo, um, which was awesome. There were some people there, not too many. It was also very calming and relaxing, which was nice because there wasn't a crowd. But by the time I was leaving, about 60 minutes later, the line had started forming. Um, so I just think sunrise is probably the best time to do it. It probably goes without asking, but I'll, I'll ask you anyways. Uh, yeah. I guess the the work that it took to take the hike was worth it for the views. Yes, it is totally worth it. I mean, the views were unbelievable. And since that was really my first uh, experience of seeing anything in arches, because when we drove in, it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything. When we started our hike, it was a little, getting to be a little bright outside, uh, but not much. So just having that delicate arch be my first, you know, welcoming to the park was like unbelievable. Wow. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. And you can watch a lot of YouTube videos on it and see how pretty it is, but nothing matches actually seeing it in person. So for anyone visiting Arches, Moab is a town nearby that has some lodging and food options. Um, tell yeah. us a little bit more about the town of Moab. Moab is the cutest little place. <laughs> it is a small town of between, I want to say, 5,000 to 6,000 people. And it's really a hub for outdoor adventure uh, and people visiting the parks because Arches is about a 15 minute drive from the center of Moab. And then about a 35 to 45 minute drive you have Canyonlands National Park and you have Dead Horse Point State Park. And in this area, you also have the LaSalle Mountains. So there is just so many outdoor activities you can do in this area. So a lot of people choose to stay in Moab because there's a lot of lodging options, Airbnbs, hotels. My friend and I stayed in a really cute Airbnb uh, that we absolutely loved. It was about like two blocks from the main area. And the main street of Moab has a lot of shops, a lot of restaurants. I suggest going to a place called Antica Forma for a dinner or lunch. They have really good wood-fired pizza. And then if you want a good big meal while you're in town, you should check out the Sunset Grill. It is a restaurant like on top of the rocks and mountains. So you're up high above Moab, you can see the entire town, get a really cool view, and then 
you also get just a really cool view of all the red rock around you and the sunsets from there i hear are awesome i was there in the night so i didn't get to see too much but i mean it's called the sunset grill so if you want to go i suggest going around sunset so we have one more park to cover so let's jump to yeah. yet another part of the map where we'll find yes. badlands national park uh sarah where and what is badlands national park yeah so badlands national park is in south dakota uh, it's a park that's near and dear to my heart because it's kind of where my adult self started to really fall in love with national parks and like, see the beauty of our country. The Lakota tribe, um, they called this region the Badlands years ago um, due to the rocky terrain, the lack of water and extreme temperatures there. So sometimes people get scared by that name uh, like the Badlands because of, you know, the, the experiences with the weather there. I mean, it is hot. Let me tell you, I was outside for a few hours there and I was already beat. Um, you really don't get a lot of shade in this park at all. Um, it's not like a forest where there's trees covering you. You are out on just rock in almost the middle of nowhere so sometimes people get scared to go there but it it's unbelievable um i i feel like it's an underrated park uh when people talk about national parks they're usually talking about the big mountains or the parks out on the southwest this park in south dakota is amazing the park also does have a lot of native american history and cultural culture within it um the Lakota people are members of the Oglala Sioux tribe, and they've lived in the Badlands regions since like long, long ago. So the Southern unit of the park is actually on the Pine Ridge Reservation, and it's managed in co cooperation with the tribe. There's also like a separate visitor center in this area, but when I went, unfortunately everything was closed because of COVID. I think it is still that way. So um, you can't really like go there and do too much, but I think it's still important to know that and learn about it, whether you like research stuff online before you go. And you can drive around the south unit of the park, the perimeter of the south unit, and get a really cool view um, that you might not get when you're like right in the middle of the park driving around. This park is also a national dark sky park. So it means like you have some of the best night sky views in this park. They do also have night sky programs that the rangers put on in the Cedar Pass Amphitheater. And there's also an annual Badlands Astronomy Festival every summer. I don't know if it's happening this year, but from what I've heard about it, a lot of scientists and educators and more come to share their love for space and stars. So. As someone who loves stars and looking about the sky, I think that's super cool and something people should totally check out. And then the wildlife here is so abundant. It's crazy. Like when I was in Arches, the only wildlife I saw were crows and rabbits, that's it. I know there's more wildlife there, but here you, we saw buffalo, we saw prairie dogs, deer, birds, bunnies. I mean, there's 
crazy wildlife here. There's also rattlesnakes, which I thankfully didn't see, but the wildlife is outstanding and you would most definitely see some really cool wildlife here. So you write about in your blog, the Badlands Loop Road, AKA South Dakota Highway. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's dive into that just a little bit more. Um, what are some things you'll see, maybe some wildlife or some other things, uh, if you travel along Badlands Loop Road? Yeah. So Badlands Loop Road goes through the entire park. It's, I want to say, about 50 to 60 miles, maybe. It is very long. If you drive the whole thing, it will take you through the entire park, which is awesome because there's so much to see. You can basically see the entire park through this road. I know people who have gone to South Dakota, they haven't wanted to spend a lot of time in the park, but what they've done is they've just driven the road, stopped at overlooks, viewpoints, and like seen almost everything besides, you know, getting out on actual hikes in the rock. There are two overlooks that I really like on the road. There's the Yellow Mounds overlook, which won't say much about it besides the fact that you go to this overlook yellow mounds overlook it'll be probably one of the coolest views you have of the park it's just completely different from everything else you're gonna see and then the pinnacle overlook is really cool um that's a spot where we saw bighorn sheep which was really cool to see um so you know at the overlooks you'll see the rock you'll see flora fauna but you can also see wildlife from them too and it's it's a really cool road that brings you through the entire park. As far as lodging, you talk about the Cedar Pass Lodge as one of your all-time favorite stays ever. Uh, talk to me about the cabins in Cedar Park Lodge and why you loved your stay there so much. Yeah, so Badlands National Park, the only place for lodging inside the actual park is the Cedar Pass Lodge. There are campsites I am not the camping type of person. So when I went, I was like, I want to stay here. I want to try this place. It's like I said, right inside the national park. It only accepts reservations for about like late, late April through October. So during the season, cause that's when most visitors go because of the weather, you know, it can get very hot. <laughs> There's about 26 cabins. Uh, I think they all have about two queen beds, a, you know, bathroom area, sink, shower, toilet. They have like a little fridge, a table and chairs in there. Then you also get a front porch and a back porch. One of my favorite things about these cabins were the porches because with that you get rocking chairs and a picnic table. So the two nights my family was there, we would sit in the back porch and eat our meals. And it's, you're right inside the park so you still get all these amazing views of the badlands you still get to see all the wildlife every single time we were eating families of deers would be eating in the grass right next to us so it's just an awesome experience they do have a really popular restaurant there and a little coffee cart for the mornings and with the lodge they also have the amphitheater which is where the rangers will do the night sky programs. So that's really cool because you're close to all that. And the visitor center is actually like just down the street from there too. So it's really in a great spot. And 
perfectly placed inside the park, I'd like to say, um, with renovated cabins. The cabins are very nice too. So um, it'll probably be one of your favorite stays at a national park, in my opinion. Awesome. So we've covered three great national parks on the show today. And one unique thing that you were telling me off air before the show started is that during your visits to these parks, you weren't there for super long. Um, I think many people have the idea that with nine to fives and limited vacation days, visiting a national park isn't easy. But the reality is, even if you just have 24 hours, you can still make it a really rewarding trip. Uh, Can you talk about why a national park is worth visiting, even if you only have a day or two available to explore it? Yeah. So I work a nine to five during the week. Um, I don't get a lot of time off. Uh, so I really only have the weekends or you know holiday weekends when you have maybe an extra day to explore or Thanksgiving weekend, stuff like that. So I think even though you don't have a long time to explore, it's still important to go to these places and see the beauty and learn the history of where you are. National parks are a great place to go and just unwind from things. You know, a lot of these places are more remote, so you won't constantly maybe be bothered by your family on your phone or your social media notifications or, you know, your work emails. They're great places to just go relax, go on a hike, get some physical activity in, go set up a hammock and sit by a lake or go out on a boat at Biscayne and see some wildlife, you know, see something different than your normal everyday work life. Um, Like someone like me who sits at home and works all day. And um, they're, they're great places for even just a day. I also think sometimes when people think about going to a national park, they think we have to be there for a full week. We have to see everything you can always go back to a national park more than once. You know, you could do maybe a day trip in the winter and then a day trip in the summer. Some national parks, they look completely different during different seasons. So maybe you don't want to do a whole week during one season. Maybe you want to split it up for, you know, multiple seasons and just day trips. And if you are doing a day trip, I try to tell people, you know, do a lot of research into the park and then figure out maybe what the highlights are or what your top highlights are of what you want to see and really try to see that stuff and just just go do it. I mean, my day at Arches, my friend and I saw about like every single section of the park. We were so worn out by the end of the day. I could barely walk because we had walked so much. But um, when you complete that itinerary, when you see these amazing places, you're just going to be like awestruck by the end of the day and so proud of everything you did. So I think go do it, even if it's for a short amount of time, because you really, you just won't regret it at all. So all of the national parks that we mentioned today are parks that you've written about on your Avenue to Adventure blog. Uh, Tell Mm -hmm. us more about how you got into blogging and what we can find if we visit theavenuetoadventure.com. Yeah. So I started this blog last fall. Um, In the summer of last year, so 2021, I lost my grandma to cancer. And I was just super sad, obviously. 
and like depressed, didn't know what to do. So I thought of, you know, instead of being sad every night, what's something I can do to keep my mind, you know, somewhere else. And that's where I really started this blog and writing has helped so much. It's also been a great place for community and meeting other people and being inspired by, you know, seeing what other people do. And then also being able to share my experiences with others has been so much fun. Um, I like to say I'm an enthusiast of parks, tropical destinations, and quick road trips. So on my blog, you can find really anything about that that I have done. A lot of national park stuff, a lot of tropical stuff. I'm trying to write more stuff about tropical destinations. I have a lot of Florida stuff that will be coming later on. And then with road trips, I currently live in the Midwest, so I'm trying to do some more like Midwest road trips on the weekends. So that's a little bit of what you can find from me. And I do a lot of one day itineraries because like we were talking about earlier, I don't have a lot of time when I adventure. So a lot of my itineraries are really short, but I like to think that they're awesome. I love it. And where's the best place to follow your travel adventures on social media? Yeah, so I have an Instagram. It's called Avenue. Oh, at Avenue to Adventure. And then my uh, TikTok is the same at Avenue to Adventure. Um, I'm also on Pinterest. I think my Pinterest is just Avenue to Adventure as well. And then my blog is theavenuetoadventure.com. So it has an extra word in there. You have to add the V in before you can get to my site. But those are the places you can currently find me posting and writing stuff and trying to connect with people as much as I can when I'm not working nine to five during the week. <laughs> so Sarah, one final question for you today. Um, Destinations Beyond Expectations is the podcast that's designed for students of travel. So I want to ask you, are you somebody um, who considers yourself to be a student of travel? And if so, uh, maybe share a lesson or two that you've learned uh, while traveling. I would say I'm a student of travel. I think especially since I've started this blog and posting more on social media, I've been more of a student of travel. I think I've learned a lot from other people um, and that's part of being a student and learning things about travel, whether it's, you know, people's tips on how to pack your suitcase or people's tips on what to wear when you're going on a winter hike, just little things like that. And I think also being a student is helping others and teaching others as well. So I think by writing um, and putting my own thoughts out there, you're also a student in some ways, especially when you start connecting with people and talking to them and they give you feedback. Um, and I think, a lesson or two that I've learned. I think one lesson I've learned is spontaneous travel is okay. I am a really big planner. I, when it comes to itineraries, I am like, let's stick to this and do everything in order. Um, Cause I usually don't have a lot of time to explore. But I think biggest thing with that I've learned is something spontaneous happens, just go with the flow and do it. You know, sometimes that's where you find the beauty in travel and the beauty in the places that you're exploring. Another lesson that I think I've learned 
um, with being a student of travel is by looking at content creators and seeing, you know, different places they go to and they explore and how they share these places with others through maybe videos or writing itineraries or writing blog posts or just taking photos and making little mini guides. There's so much to do with travel where you can share it with others. Um, and I think that's something that's really cool about the travel community and the outdoors community. So you can always learn from each other and you know share these amazing experiences with each other, each other that might inspire others too. So I like to think when I go somewhere, I'm not just seeing it for myself now, I'm also seeing it to share these experiences with other people. And I think that's also just something I try to remember when I go to new places is, you know, to share these places with other people, but learn from the people that make up the communities and the location I'm at. I love it. That's great advice. And I was certainly inspired by your blog. I loved reading about national parks and I have to plan my next uh, visit to a national park, even if it's for a day or two, like you said. Um, Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, teaching us about these three great national parks that people might want to have on their radar. Um, It was great talking with you and and thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope I inspired somebody out there to go to a national park, even if it's just for one day. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. A big DBE thank you to Sarah for joining me on this episode. I really learned a lot about Biscayne, Arches, and Badlands National Parks and the experiences they hold for visitors. I definitely encourage everyone to scroll down to the show notes to learn more about the Avenue to Adventure blog and where you can give Avenue to Adventure a follow on social media. I'd love if you could visit groupexperience.com to learn how to build your travel tribe. And if you guys have a quick second, it would mean a lot to me if you could follow Destinations Beyond Expectations on social media. DBE is on Facebook and Instagram. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button on Spotify or wherever you are listening. Oh, and if you can, rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts is so incredibly helpful to growing this show. If you want to hear me talk about more destinations, follow Group Travel Odyssey on Facebook or subscribe to Group Travel Odyssey on YouTube. Every Thursday, I'm joined by colleagues in the travel industry on a show called Destination Dispatch, where we learn all about destinations and the opportunities they hold for groups. The show is a live stream and we go live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to follow Group Travel Odyssey to tune in. Well, that is all I've got for this week. Thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks for telling a friend about DBE. Have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon.